Hey, welcome to your daily talk radio show, Night School. And I'm just, I'm totally fried. You know, in last night's episode, I was talking about, you know, exercise creates more energy in you. You know, your capacity of energy increases, I feel, when you intensely exercise, when you exercise your mind, when you exercise your mind as well. I believe all of that increases your capacity for energy. So using energy actually increases your energy. Uh, You know, Einstein never figured out that equation. Maybe he did. I'm sure somebody has an equation for that. But you don't need it to know it. Um, And uh, today, though, is just a total crash. I mean, I feel hungover. I feel like I am hungover. Fortunately, without the residue of poison. But no, I feel completely hungover because as I was talking about last night, you know, when you push yourself, when you've been in a very intense period, you do reach a point where you just go, oh, now I've got to rest. While I, I don't rest if I don't have to, I, I try to fill every crack of time with something as long as I can. That's how I feel fulfilled. That's how I stay, dare I say, happy. And my use of the word happy is different than other people who typically mean joy. For me, some sort of life happiness isn't necessarily joy. It's, it's just feeling right. I think that maybe I should just stick with that. I feel right. And not right in an argumentative sense where I'm like, I'm correct. I mean, everything just feels right. I mean, maybe that's what I was talking about last night with feeling like you inhabit the world, like you belong in the world and therefore everything you do you inhabit everything you do as a result you know maybe that's uh what it means to feel right uh but today's the crash and i and as i mentioned last night even though i believe in constantly using the energy when you can today's a day where i'm just i am totally bankrupt i feel hungover like i haven't felt this hungover in quite a while since I stopped drinking, maybe. No, probably not. I've definitely felt this way since then. But yeah, not a drinking hangover, just a general high intensity hangover, but no emotional crash. You know, like I was mentioning, like when I go through these high intensity periods, they're not a mania. They're not a manic episode. There's no emotion attached to it where like crashing isn't uh, crashing isn't an emotional situation it's just oh wow yeah I woke up today and I'm just uh, mentally bankrupt not mentally but just you know I, I, I low energy it's not this isn't very interesting um, but uh you know I don't normally like to talk about dream talk I've, I've talked a lot about how I don't like dream talk I don't like telling people about my dreams I don't like hearing about people's dreams A friend of mine told me years ago, he had a dream where he was on the phone with his mom and he just kept saying, blood, (laughs) in response to her. And she was like, you need help. You're on drugs. We need to come, you know, get you. And he just kept saying, blood. I thought that was funny. That was a a short to the point dream that still makes me laugh to hear about. But other people's dreams, you know, I'm as uninterested in other people's dreams as as they probably are in mine. And some people are dream people. Dream people. They love to hear about dreams and talk about dreams and analyze them. And I think dreams are fascinating. They're very interesting. But when someone starts telling me about their dreams, I tune out. And I, whenever I tell somebody else about my dreams, I can, I can sense them tuning out. Like, you know when somebody isn't listening to you. But I'm going to tell you about my dream last night because it was an interesting one. And uh, my mom, you know, and yesterday was my mom's birthday, but my mom, her best friend, who's also my second cousin, my dad's first cousin, however that works, uh, the three of us climbed to the peak of this otherworldly mountain. And, you know, of course, as dreams often are, there were a bunch of other vague people, not a bunch, but maybe some other, our party may have had some other vague people I knew or didn't know. And if I did know them, they may have looked like other people, as dreams often do. Um, which just let me say real quick, cause yesterday I was talking about, you know, 
your body being an illusion of some sort in the Buddhist, you know, as Buddhists sometimes explain, the body itself is an illusion as, as much as anything else. And I think dreams teach you that because you will have dreams where you are with somebody you know looking at them and they do not look anything like the person you know, but you know it's them in that dream. And it's not that your friend's real soul, their capital R, capital S, real soul is in your dream, although I don't know. Uh, it's in that, in that context, though, it is. Like within your dream world, that is that person, even though they look nothing like the person you know. And I don't know if you've had this experience, but I have, where I'll be talking to somebody I know in the dream, and they don't look like the person I know, or maybe they do, but while I'm talking to them, their face changes, and I'm still talking to that person, and I know it's them. So that should tell you that something about our bodies being illusions. And I mean, in the same way that, you know, if you don't see somebody for 20 years, and they look completely different, you might have to readjust you know, you might have to readjust your glasses, you know, when you see them again, but it's still them and you know that. And so the fact that aging teaches us this lesson too, like, well, in dreams, it can be much more drastic where it's like, this does not look like the person I know. And, and when you wake up, you think about that. But in the dream, you're not sitting there thinking like, that's Brian. You can't be Brian. You look nothing like Brian. You look nothing like Mike. You know, you don't think that in the dream. You're just talking to Mike or Brian. I have no friends named... I probably have a friend named Mike. Um, I know some Mikes. I knew a lot of Brians growing up. That was an extremely popular name, at least in the schools I went to. A lot of Brians. I don't think I'm friends with any Brians now. You know, your problem is you don't have enough Brians in your life. <laughs> But anyway, so that's an interesting thing about dreams. Like, And so the one last night, like my mom, my cousin slash mom's best friend, and I were at the top of this peak. And it was just us three at that point. Like we may have had other vague people in the party, but they didn't climb up to the peak with us. And we were camped out and it was night. And, and this was otherworldly. Borderline science fiction. Uh, you know, I, I read C.S. Lewis's Space Trilogy and I think this mountain would have fit in with some of the descriptions of the landscapes there, maybe. But nothing nothing that crazy. But at, at one point, my mom, we were camped out on these cots or something. And my mom walked over to the edge and she fell off. Almost cartoon-like. Like she stepped off and kind of like fell. You know, it was, it was almost cartoon-like. And my cousin said... Uh, Oh, geez, or something to that, that effect. Not like, oh, my God, you know, but just kind of this, oh, geez. And then I very calmly, there, of course, there was a staircase. It being a dream, the mountain had a staircase. And so I walked down the staircase to go look for my mom. Because in that moment when she fell, it was like, did she fall to the very bottom of the mountain? But I went down the staircase, and there was this sort of built-in deck. Almost like, you know, if you've seen the movie Titanic or anything like that, where there's these kind of deck, these covered decks with a railing and everything. And there was one of those in the mountain. It kind of reminded me of something you would find on a boat where maybe there's a floor above you, but you're in the open air and there's a railing and you're on this kind of covered deck. So there was one of these in the mountain. And I, I walked down the stairs and my mom had only fallen maybe one story, one level. And I saw her laying there near the edge of the railing like she had fallen down from above. And uh, as I saw her, she got up herself. And she was, you know, I don't know if she was hurt or anything, but like I helped her. Like I helped her kind of hobble back up the stairs and then I woke up. And I just, I don't have too much more. I'm not going to give any analysis. I don't really do dream analysis. I don't think about that too much unless it's obvious. I'm just not that interested, even though I think dreams are fascinating. But I kind of take them at face value. I don't look for symbolism. I don't look for anything. I don't look for too much in them. Because there's enough, I, you know, kind of like that Ronnie James Dio interview I may have talked about where they were interviewing Ronnie James Dio. And he's just like, sleep's a waste of time. Like, you know, he, I kind of feel the same way. 
but I wish that I wish that sleep was like something you needed only an hour of. Like I like having an end to the day. And even though I wish I had more time and didn't require as much sleep, I wish that you slept for an hour and then were totally refreshed because I like having a, some sort of disruption. I like there to be an end to the chapter of a given day. I just don't like that it takes like eight hours to be completely rested. I'd be more than happy if we just slept for an hour and that was it. Okay, it's a new day now. Uh, but, uh, you know, with the with dream analysis and all of that, you know, I don't I don't put too much into it, even though I think I, and I'm not discounting it. I'm not saying there isn't something to dream analysis, but it's just not something that has ever attracted me. And, you know, maybe in 10 years, I won't shut up about dream analysis. Like thinking of that interview I saw that I did, you know, 10 years ago where I where just perfectly the dude asked me about meditation and I was like, meditation's a waste of time. Meditation's bad for you. I even said that, you know, and now I don't shut up about it, how great it is. So, you know, in 10 years, I'll probably be just telling you nothing about, I'll probably be talking nonstop about uh, dream analysis. But for now, no, just, but I thought it was a perfect dream for the night of my mom's birthday. And, and it's an interesting thing too, because for years I've had dreams of things happening to my mom, her getting sick, her getting injured. I think it started particularly when she had her stroke in, in 2016. And when she was still alive, I would have those dreams occasionally, not often, but every once in a while I would have a dream where something happened to my mom. And I would wake up with this immense relief where I was like, thank God she's still alive. It was just, it, they were all, I wouldn't say they were nightmares, but they were nightmarish because, uh, you know, I mean, you're having a dream about something happening to your beloved mom and you wake up and she's still there. You know, you can call her, you can text her, you can uh, email her, you can go see her. Your soul can interact with her soul through your bodies, through your, through your devices. Uh, and so it was a relief that she was still alive. But it's interesting, since she died, I've had a couple dreams, maybe two or three, where something is happening with her, where she's either sick or injured or, you know, one of these things. And I wake up feeling relieved that she's passed away. And not that I'm happy she's gone. Obviously, if you've heard anything I say, you know, I absolutely treasured my mom. But it's weird how having those dreams, it's a relief that I don't have to go through that process again. And it's a relief that I'm no, I'm no longer worried about her. So it's interesting how I can have those same dreams of something happening to my mom. And it was a relief that she was still alive. And now it's a relief that she's passed away. So... I don't know. It, it's almost just, I think it's based around the fact that I no longer have to worry. And it's it's a strange feeling, but one of my mom's friends had a similar dream where she woke up feeling relieved. She had a dream about something happening to my mom, and she woke up relieved as well that she no longer had to worry about her. And uh, I think part of that is a life well lived, like I talked about. I won't go into it again, but just like having no concern over the fate of my mom's soul based on her conduct in life, whether it's heaven, whether it's liberation, whatever it is, I think that plays into it as well. I think that plays into some of the relief. Anyway, you know, a rare dream, uh, a, a rare, a rare dream tale from me. Um, but uh, uh, one more thing on dreams, and I know I've mentioned this before, but this is why I don't discount dreams entirely. And it's because years ago, many years ago, I had a dream where I learned that these two people were siblings. Two people who live in this town. They live in this town. I'm not... One of them is a guy who was a friend of a friend, and I hung out with a few times. But he wasn't a good friend of mine. Like, I never called him and was like, let's hang out, dude. You know, we never hung... We never arranged to hang out or anything. He was somebody where if, like, I ran into him at a bar, we'd catch up. But he was a, he was a friend of a friend... I didn't really know anything like maybe maybe it was mentioned once that he had a sister and then years later somebody I worked with was friends with a woman who I I didn't even know really she was a pretty woman and uh just a mom pretty much uh, pretty a pretty uh mom pretty much 
but I didn't really think about it. I, I never really thought about her. I just, I was aware of her. Like she met, I think she might've been at an event I was at. And, you know, it just shows you that like the way that data gets lodged in your brain, uh, you know, like my friend Marco wrote a, a, a zine sort of thing that was called, I remember everything. And my, and not that long ago, my friend Nick called me in a heightened state and he was like, write this down. And he, he was like, he said, uh, when you're crazy, nobody, no thing. No, he said, when you're crazy, nobody, no one, and no thing is too big or too small to remember. And Nick doesn't know Marco. Like, these guys have never met each other or talked or anything. They're completely different worlds as far as uh, my life goes. But I think that's a common thread in, in my friendships where we all remember everything. And it's almost like, you know, it's a form of extortion in a way, but it's also great. Because you remember every, like, stupid thing your friends say, but they remember every stupid thing you say. But it also goes the opposite, where you remember all kinds of things. Good, bad, everything in between. And I forget some things. You know, I do forget some things. Like, sometimes Miles or somebody will be like, I remember you said this about this. And I'm like, did I? Wow. But, uh, you know, that idea of memory, you know, so it's like stuff gets lodged in my brain and I can meet the most random person and they stay in my brain forever. They might show up in a dream. You know, they very well might. Sometimes that happens. And this is a great example of that where like I had no connection to this woman. I just I knew she existed. I think that's the best way to describe it is I knew this woman existed. And I knew this guy, you know, as sort of a casual acquaintance. And I had a dream where it was communicated to me that these people were siblings. And I was like, it's weird that I dreamed about those two people, considering they're not a part of my daily consciousness. I mean, you want to talk about consciousness and unconsciousness. Those are two people who existed, as far as I'm concerned, purely in my unconscious. And they had no significance. They just got lodged there. And this dream told me they were siblings. They didn't look particularly alike. You know, I guess they both had dark hair. Everybody with dark hair is related. Um, they're all dark elves. They're all from the dark elf clan. Um, no, but I, and I, when I woke up, I thought that was such a weird dream to have. And there was, there was nothing like attached to it. You know, these people weren't a part of my life. And I decided to do a little digging and I discovered they were actually siblings. And I guarantee you nobody ever told me that. Nobody ever told me that those two people were related. Nobody would have even been in a position to know that I knew who both of they, them were. I never heard them talk about their siblings. Like I said, maybe the casual acquaintance, maybe it came up like once where it's like, oh yeah, my sister, blah, blah, blah. Really the only, the only commonality that I could possibly find for these people is they had dark hair. And, like, I'm wondering if, like, maybe I heard a, their last names at some point. You know, because I'm willing to be my own skeptic here. I'm willing to think that, like, maybe somehow I knew their last names. But I don't, I, you know, it just doesn't... Even then, though, it's like, I never would have... I never would have completed that e equation or even cared about that equation in my waking life. I never could have even dreamed... <laughs> Uh, no pun intended, of caring enough to try to complete that equation. I don't go around trying to figure out who, I don't, I don't go around like thinking like, oh, what random people are siblings? What random people in this town are siblings? But yet my dream self, my, in the dream world, that equation was completed for me. Like even if I did have some kind of data, like the only, I, I think the only thing I could go with is they live in the same town, they have dark hair, I knew his last name, but I, like, I don't know that I ever would have known this woman's last name. I don't know who would have said it to me. I may have seen it. Maybe I saw it on, on social media or something, you know, but even then it's like the fact that that equation, even if I had that data, I guess my point is looking at it as skeptically as possible, even if I had that data, the fact that my dream self completed that equation and it ended up being accurate, and it, and it was. I was able to confirm that those two people are siblings. What does that mean? Who cares? 
It's like synchronicity. When I say it's not about analyzing the individual synchronicity you experience, the individual synchronicity is part of the entire phenomenon of synchronicity, which is communicating to you that there is a greater connecti- uh, connectivity, connectiveness. I had to decide which word I was going to use. Connectivity or connectiveness? I think connectivity sounds a lot better. I'll go with that. No, synchronicity, I think if nothing else, you know, you can get into what the individual meaning is. And I think it's one of those things where sometimes it jumps out at you. Sometimes a synchronicity does jump out and seem to have a specific meaning in that specific instance or series of instances. Uh, But, you know, unless it jumps out at me, I don't try to analyze it or find a meaning. I don't try to dig for a jewel because to me, the experience itself is the jewel and the experience is communicating to you that there is a greater connectivity that goes unseen to this whole experience. And I think that's kind of how I feel about this dream equation that revealed to me these two people were siblings. It's not that that matters to me. It's not like I'm going to marry her and he's going to be my brother-in-law. You know, it's not like, you know, I don't know, I don't know what else, what other kind of analysis you could have. Maybe down the road, uh, these are going to, these siblings are going to factor into my life. I, I doubt it. I really doubt it. But I think what that communicated to me was just letting me know there's a lot going on in the unconscious and a lot going on in the dream world. And it actually defies consciousness. I wouldn't say defies. I mean, defies sounds like they're at odds, but it informs consciousness and consciousness informs it. And your brain can put things together that end up being true in waking life that you would otherwise have no concept of. And if you're aware of that, you might notice it happening more and more. And you might actually notice that happening in your waking life if you clear your mind. I mean, you know, I think about my friend Robert, who's who's a very special person in the best possible way. You know, his insight, and he, he's some, he's like, you know, the he's the he's kind of like the archetype of like this. He can appear like a goblin in the gutter who you want to stay away from, and he's terrifying. But if you get to know him, you know, he's got the biggest heart and the. Uh, the most cutting insight into our spiritual existence that you could ever come across. And when I met him, I I didn't even realize that completely. He was just an he was just a kind of an interesting character. But as I've known him over the years, you know, and and still know him, uh, his insight just blows my mind. And he was telling me once how he was driving in a car and he was he was like in the passenger seat and there was this huge crowd of people like hundreds of people at some kind of event outdoors and he saw some guy that he i guess had like talked to online through music and he was like stop the car like uh, there's so and so and the person he was referencing was like you couldn't even see him like you could you could see like the back of his head in a crowd maybe you know, there was nothing that would give him any indication that that was that person. But he got out of the car and, like, made his way through the crowd. And, like, 50 people deep, he found this guy. And it was the exact guy he thought it was. What is that, you know? I mean, he'd never met the guy. Because we all, like, if we have a friend, our friend could be wrapped in a trench coat with a, with a, a ski mask on, you know, and 50 layers of clothing waddling through snow, and we still recognize their gait. Like, we still recognize their outline. And that's if you know somebody. But it's it's one of the reasons why, like, I, I do explore this idea of, like, what the Internet actually is and the way that we, we can inhabit it. Because this, and this story from Robert was from, he told me this in probably 2005. 2005. Now, he probably told me this 16 years ago. And it stood out to me then because it was like he was able to recognize this person he had never met in person. And this person was deep in a crowd. And I know he was telling the truth because, I mean, I've, I've had similar experiences with him. I trust him on these things. And even if there was a little bit of exaggeration, it's, you know, I still know, I know him and I know how these things work with him. And I've had, you know, while not that extreme of an example, like I've had similar little things in my mind. And I think talking about that dream where I learned these people were siblings, 
you know, I mean, that to me is kind of along the same lines where it's like some equation was done with data that you didn't even know you had. And it's not necessarily, the example isn't necessarily important. I mean, it's not entirely unlike, you know, an example in a math problem where like you're taking a math test and it's like so-and-so and so-and-so are collecting apples, blah, blah, blah. It's to illustrate it's to give you something to work with to illustrate an example of how that equation works. And I don't see these things mathematically. I think that's just one way to put it. Like, I don't I don't think an actual equa- mathematical equation, some algebraic equation, gets completed when your dream brain does something. I think it's beyond math. It's beyond uh, reason. But I don't think it's entirely different from seeing somebody in a crowd from very far away and they're buried in the crowd and you've never met them, you've only corresponded with them, but somehow you know it's them. I think that's a a sort of a similar phenomenon. And again, it's not even about the one example. Like the example of the brother and sister, you can't get caught up in that example because that example is given to you to illustrate how a process works you know, some sort of connectivity. Again, I think a lot of these things ultimately communicate connectivity. Synchronicity communicates a greater connectivity. Dreams communicate a greater connectivity in many cases. And this kind of plays into something my friend Kyle said to me this morning where he was like, you know, today uh, I'm just feeling like everything happens for a reason. You know, that's where I'm at, you know, like, like these platitudes and stuff like these things. That's just the world I live in now. It's like, yeah, I was like, yeah, dude. Yeah, dude, everything does happen for a reason. I was totally on board with that idea today, especially feeling so such a an energy hangover. You heard of an alcohol hangover? I've got an energy hangover. And, uh, you know, it does feel that way, though, often where, you know, because I I don't necessarily I, I don't even think about free will. I don't, I don't, when people start talking about free will, I tune out. They might as well be talking about their dreams. I tune out. You know, there was the, there was some debate, I think it was like Sam Harris and Jordan Peterson where they were debating free will. And I was just like, I wish this was interesting to me. I wish this was interesting to me. I find this so uninteresting and such a waste of time. And they can talk about it if they want, but I just feel like you'd be better served talking about something else. So I don't really think, like while I believe in fate to a large degree, I don't think about, you know, it's hard for me to separate any of it, you know, because I, I see decisions and, and choices and everything as part of fate, too, and I think it's a distraction to get into this intellectual, to like split all of these intellectual hairs, it's just, it's never done anything for me, but again, maybe in 10 years, all I'll, in 10 years, all I'm going to be talking about is free will and dream analysis, <laughs> And with that in mind, too, it's interesting that I don't care at all. I mean, it's cool when it happens, but I don't really desire, uh, what's it called, uh, lucid dreaming. Like, I went through a little period where I was trying to lucid dream, where I was, you know, doing some of the little techniques you could do right before bed. But whenever I've had lucid dreams, which is very rare, I wouldn't be surprised if I could count the number of lucid dreams I've had on one hand. But every time I've had a lucid dream, I wake up feeling more exhausted than I would if I just dreamt normally. I don't know why that is. Maybe it's because I'm not actually resting, because I'm actually controlling my dream. I'm exerting energy in that dream when I should just be along for the ride. Along for the sleep ride. But, uh, well, it's cool. Well, lucid dreams are very cool, and, and the ones I've had are very cool. Although in every single one, it seems like the first thing I do is I just like manifest a woman to have sex with, but it's not sex. You know, it's, you know what I mean? Like every single one, it seems like I immediately, and, and TMI, TMI, I don't need to hear about your lucid dream. And uh, t- from talking to friends, they do the same thing. It just shows you that like, yeah, it's like, because I think normally dreams are very detached from your animal self. Uh, and at least mine are. Like, I don't, I've never had, you know, really, I've had, I've had very few, uh, this is, yeah, very TMI, TMI, 
but it's like I've had very few wet dreams or sex dreams in my life. But every lucid dream I've had, I think it starts out where the second that I realize I have control, I immediately manifest a woman. Like immediately there's a woman like right next to me. And one time it was even this kind of just rugged, uh, old like bar fly woman who I I would never be attracted to in, in waking life. But it's funny how that happens. And and from talking to my friend, he was saying the same thing, how he does the same thing in lucid dreams, where it's just like immediately you just go for a woman. Because that's what people are looking for. I mean, that's what, because if people could manifest everything they wanted in their waking life, like in your, in your physical reality, if you were to give people the choice of just total control, that's what a lot of people would do. They would immediately just want to have sex with a woman. Or anybody, you know, whatever you're into. Um, that's what a lot of people would do, which is why, like, the second we develop androids, they're going to be sex androids. They are, you know. It's it's why, like, when, when you, they make life-size latex dolls, it's like you don't get them so that you can hang out with them or have friends. It's like you immediately, they're immediately sex dolls. You know, I think that kind of plays into it. It's kind of the same logic where it's like in this lucid dream, you can basically manifest a sex doll. It's not a sex doll. So that's what you do. When we're able to create AI and latex, you know, women, they're sex dolls. It's just, I think it's just kind of what we do. And so there is something more animal to me, maybe in lucid dreams. I don't know. But I find them exhausting. Whenever I've had them, and maybe I. I have a very small sample size to get scientific about it. I have a very s- small sample size, but I tend to try to manifest a woman first. And usually that's unsatisfying. Usually that's not like, cause it's not real. You know, it's like, it's not actually that pleasurable because it is in this dream, this detached dream world, but it's just like that animal desire is still there and it's where your mind goes first. You know, it's almost reptilian or something. I don't, I don't know if that's the reptile brain, but it's like there's something reptilian that kicks in or animal in the dream world when you have control. But it would be interesting to explore it further. I mean, it's not that I'm opposed to it. It's not like I'm like, I refuse. I do everything I can to not lucid dream. It's not like I feel that way about it. Uh, but I, I just, I kind of like just being on the roller coaster ride in dreams. I kind of like not having total control. But everything, ha- and everything happens for a reason, especially in dreams. Especially in dreams. Everything happens for a reason in dreams, dude. You know, it, uh, maybe. I'm just not going to analyze it. But my friend's saying that to me this morning. Like, I'm today I'm just feeling like everything happens for a reason. And I'm like, yeah. That's where I'm at. The good and the bad. And it's one of those things you can't say to people who... Like, when someone's going through a a bad time, you can't say to them, well, remember, everything happens for a reason. It's like telling a depressed person to be happy or someone who's not smiling, telling them to smile. You don't don't say that to somebody who's going through a difficult time. Hey, uh, oh, you got your leg cut off? Uh, Everything happens for a reason. Even though it might be true. Even though it might be true, and probably is. I mean, I would say it is. I would say it is. I mean, well, what's the alternative? The alternative is extreme nihilism, for one. is just like, that means that nothing, you know, everything doesn't happen for a reason. Which could lead you to nothing happens for a reason. So I think it's, I don't know. And it's not even like a positive affirmation thing, because it's, it's not even about positivity. Everything happens for a reason is not about positive thinking even necessarily I think it's a constructive way of thinking I think it's ultimately more constructive but to somebody who's suffering somebody who's in the midst of suffering they're only going to realize it happened for a reason later upon reflection and so to say that to somebody who's in the midst of suffering isn't going to do them any good and it's not going to do you any good you're just going to be an asshole like telling a depressed person just be happy why don't you just smile or do what the schoolboy says? Do what the schoolboy, the night schoolboy says, where he says, if the cashier says, how you doing? And you say, great, I'm great, I'm great. You'll, you'll start to feel great.
Do what he says, depressed person. No, you can't do that to people. It's like telling someone not to be mad when they're mad. Don't be upset. Calm down. Telling your girlfriend, calm down. Calm down. Great way to get her to calm down. Um, call, you better calm down or I'm going to lucid dream tonight and manifest a sex doll to cheat on you with. <laughs> That's how you get your girlfriend to calm down. I'm, I'm going to cheat on you with a, a, a sex doll who looks like a, a really rough, worn tavern wench in my dream tonight. Um, but, uh, what everything happens for a reason makes me think of is there was a girl that I grew up with. We went to junior high and high school together. I haven't had any contact with her probably since, I mean, I haven't seen her since high school. I think we were MySpace friends after that. I think there was a little window of time where, you know, your soul inhabits MySpace too. I mean, there's somebody whose soul never left MySpace. I think about probably around like 2006, 2005, 2006, a friend and I drove, actually coincidentally to my hometown, you know, I had moved out, I had left my hometown, I was about an hour away, I am about an hour away, and a friend and I drove to my hometown to buy a drum set from a guy on Craigslist, and it was just a house full of fiends, not really, but it was it was a group of guys probably around our age who all lived together, like four or five guys in a big house. And the first thing we saw when we drove up was a Chevelle, you know, a Chevelle, that old car. And they had the guy had a sticker on the on the back windshield that said, "You looked better on MySpace." It was like a hot topic, like Zoomy sticker, probably a hot topic sticker. You know, in this kind of like 1970s style, like you know, like 1970s flowery lettering. It said, you looked better on MySpace. And that was such a, that's like a time capsule, you know, the idea of having a, a sticker on your car that says, you looked better on MySpace. You know, today that would just be an ironic statement. I mean, for the last 10 years, 12 years, however long, longer probably, for the past like almost pretty much since then. If that was in 2005 or 2006, pretty much like the day after that, the idea of having that bumper sticker became like a quaint time capsule. But you think about this group of guys living together and like, you know, they were wearing like, they were just like suburban dudes. And, uh, you know, wearing like, uh, I don't I don't know, who cares? Um, suburban dudes who were probably into pop punk. And actually, that ties into the drum set, because when we got up, like, the guy who was selling his drum set, and I remember his name was Pete. I, I'll, I'll never forget that his name was Pete, and he was selling his drum set because he was joining the military. And in the band room, like, in his jam room, where the drum set was, was, like, this giant wall poster of Godsmack, which, like, doesn't have anything, anything to do with pop punk, but I'm just saying, like, these guys just kind of had, like... New metal was still something people were into, non-ironically. You know, pop punk was still like kind of at its height. So it's like these guys kind of had that energy. Like new, they, they probably blast new metal and pop punk, which is a, a great combination. It's like mixing like Fireball, uh, <laughs> you know, with uh, with Scotch or something. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just trying to think of like things that would be gross together. It's like drinking Fireball and vodkas. But he had a giant Godsmack poster, and why that was so funny to me and why that was seared into my memory is because up to that point, Godsmack had been doing military recruitment videos, and it was a big joke. Like, everyone made fun of it. It's like they, you would be watching TV, and this military recruitment video would come on, and it would be Godsmack. And it's like, yeah, Godsmack's recruiting all these dudes into the military. And so going to this guy's band room where he's selling us his drum set and he has a giant Godsmack poster and he's getting rid of his drum set to join the military. It was like, I guess it worked. <laughs> you know, I guess I guess like Godsmack fans do join the military. I guess like Godsmack's recruitment army videos do work. So that was funny. But that MySpace thing just made me think of, talking about that girl made me think of that MySpace thing. Because I think of her, like I think of this girl as like the ultimate MySpace girl. Because she got into modeling, I think, through MySpace. And, and the last contact we had was through MySpace. And she was a girl too. When I was growing up, like she was the girl who, 
Like she was always into whatever like the the hottest new pop punk band was. And I have nothing against pop punk. I actually like pop punk more than I like punk. You know, I think it's it's more enjoyable. It gives me a better feeling. I don't and I don't even say that as some kind of guilty pleasure, but like I legitimately think Blink-182 is a better band than most real punk. Musically, just overall, uh, just overall. And that's not a guilty pleasure thing. Like I don't sit around listening to pop punk. I don't, I don't sit around listening to Blink-182. And I, it's not a, you know, I think Blink-182 is a good band. I don't care who, who hears that. Um, do I sit around listening to them? No. I mean, when I was in sixth grade, I got Dude Ranch, and that was the perfect thing for a sixth grader. That was the perfect thing for a sixth grader. Like, having a song like Damn It, it's a good riff. It's a serious enough song, but it's still pop punk. You know, that's a good song. And, if, and as a sixth grader, like, listening to that, and that was, like, right before they, like, they had videos on MTV, I think, you know, like, MTV2, if that was around then. But it was like right before Enema of the State came out and all of that. So being a sixth grader with like Dude Ranch, like you were you were feeling pretty good, feeling pretty good about music and life. So, you know, I've got no beef with pop punk. But this girl that I, I grew up with, she she would always like message me on AOL Instant Messenger and be like, have you heard this band? And it was always like, and it was like, she was into underground pop punk as well as mainstream. Like she was into it all. Like this girl loved pop punk. And by then I, you know, I was cynical and mean. <laughs> and so everything she said to me, I was always like, no, but it probably sucks. Or if I had heard of it, I was like, yeah, it sucks. I was so mean to her. And she was pretty hot too. Like looking back at myself, I'm like, why was I so, I should have just dated her. Like I felt like she would always message me about stuff. Like she would talk to me in school like I, I should have just dated her, you know. She she had she had a, a large set of, of something, you know. She had, she had a large pair. Not to get too crude, uh, this has already been a crude episode. Like she was the girl who had like the. She matured early, and I mean I'm not gonna say woulda shoulda coulda because I I wasted my opportunity just telling her like her taste in music sucked all the time, but I think she kind of enjoyed it. I think I think we did have kind of this weird like masochistic friendship where I don't even know if it was a friendship to be honest uh, <laughs> where it was like she would just like ask me about bands and I would shoot her down and like I think and she kept coming back for more so I think there was like some weird like something sadistic about it um, but uh, it was cool looking back though it was cool because she was like always on the cutting edge of whatever new pop punk like underground pop punk which existed you know and uh so it's like she was always on that edge. And uh, this is just me like reflecting on poor decisions I've made in my life. But still, point being, the reason I even brought her up is because sometime after high school, like she became a model or something, like like a pop punk model. I'm not even kidding. Like she actually did go that route. Like I think she moved to Hollywood or something and became like involved. I don't know. Like I said, I lost touch with her a very long time ago. The one who got away. No, I don't know. I think there's a reason why I wasn't in that interested at the time. But uh, she ended up getting a tattoo right above her pelvis, like practically on her pelvis. And I was never involved with her. So this is something you could see even if she wasn't naked. Like if she wore a, if she wore like low rise jeans and like a cropped shirt, you could see the tattoo, but it was still pretty much on her pelvis. And it said in like scripty lettering, everything happens for a reason. And that still blows my mind. She got a tattoo right above her groin that says everything happens for a reason. That's a pretty amazing. Like, was she thinking about that? Like, like, did she deliberately do that so that like every guy she was involved with would like be like, well, this is significant. This is happening for a reason. Because that it was right there. That tattoo was right there. And it's still there. Even I know unless she's had it removed, which is a weird place to have a tattoo removed, it's it's as weird to get a tattoo there as it is to have it removed. And I don't even know or get covered up. I don't even know. It was, I mean, it was pretty bold. If you get it covered up, you have to get like a big black square. 
And it was big. It wasn't like a tiny, it wasn't like tiny writing. It was like a big, flowy, scripty font. And I, it just always blew my mind. Because like I, whenever I think of MySpace, I think of her. Whenever I think of everything happens for a reason, I think of her. I think of her. But that <laughs> everything happens for a reason right on your groin, like your upper groin. Enough so that like, you know, like I never saw her naked. So, I, you know, it, it was nothing like that. But it was just the sort of thing where, yeah, if she's wearing like low-rise jeans and a crop top, which I think is what she typically wore, you would see this tattoo. I mean, it reminds me, like I, I saw a picture of a girl with a tramp stamp once that was a heart that said dad. And I'm not even going to go into like what that would be like in different situations. But it makes me think of that where it's just like something that you you have to think about. If you're intimately involved with somebody. Um, everything happens for a reason though. Including getting a tattoo that says everything happens for a reason. Getting a tattoo that says everything happens for a reason. Happens for a reason. For a reason. What does that mean? Let's analyze it. What is reason? This gets into the free will. This is why I don't like it when people talk about free will. Because they're like, well first we have to define reason. First, we have to define what free means, and then we have to define will. It's like you split so many hairs and get, and I probably do this myself. Like, I probably do this in my own way where I'm like, I'm thinking about this. And first, we have to think about what this word means before we can talk about what that word means. And then we have to think about what the different definitions of these words mean so that we can just, it's like a, a fractured, I don't know. It's just fractured is how it feels. And you never actually get, you know, it's, it's all that stuff to me. It's an exercise in separating things, which is what I, which is why, like, I think the most profound things to me communicate connectivity because you can always fracture things deeper and deeper. And there's a time and place for that. But it's like, to me, I don't get anything from, excuse me, my nose, um, I don't get anything from my nose, uh, but no, those things like, like what always turns me off about those kinds of discussions is they, they kind of fracture things further and further apart. They, they're very reductionist, I suppose you could say, you know, they, they, uh, they're very scientific. They're dissective, if that's a word. They tend to favor the dissection of everything, where, whereas I tend to gravitate toward things that feel like things are being assembled into a whole. And maybe we're always going through that process of like, you know, disassembling, dissecting, and then reassembling. But I know from experience of being a human being that things often feel dissected to begin with. You know, it seems like you start out in life and life seems very separate. Everything in life seems very separate. Everything seems like it's already been dissected for you. And so, so much of just growing and aging and thinking and taking experiences that are beyond you to heart, whether they be synchronicity, dreams, or just something you read, something somebody said to you, I think that it's a, a road of assembly, for me at least. And I know that the further I get into dissection, not the band, although that too, uh, but the further I, I get into dissection, the more disconnected I feel from what it is to be alive. But maybe you need to do that now and again. You know, I think you do. And I, I think I would be better served sometimes not saying anything, not doing anything. And that's kind of what I'm feeling now, like feeling like I... I'm having this energy hangover where I'm like, okay, I pushed myself to the brink. The world has pushed itself to the brink. Now's the time for me to just sit maybe. And while I'll do these episodes, because this is a daily talk show. This is a daily talk show. This is the daily show. This is the new daily show. Did you know that I'm going to be the new host of the daily show? We're going to usher in the Obama bin Biden era by having me take over the Daily Show. But you're going to have to, you know, check it out on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, 
Spotify, because you can listen to this show in all those places if you didn't know. If you didn't know, you can listen to this show in all those places. Haven't done YouTube. I know, like, I listen to a lot of podcasts and things on YouTube, but it seems to be a lot of effort to upload it to, because the other ones, all those other things, like, they all, they're all connected to where if I upload a podcast, like, they'll eventually show up on their own in all those places, because I've, I've set it up that way. But YouTube, YouTube, uh, I'd have to do it manually, and I think you have to make some sort of, like, video format, so I just haven't done that, even though it might be good might be good at some point for me to take the time to do that, but I just don't want to do it now. But it's not going to matter because I'm going to be the new host of The Daily Show. And I'm going to make fun of Joe Obama, Ben Biden. I'm going to point out all the hypocritical things about the new uh, regime. Because that's all people have been doing the last few days. You know, here we are, back to politics. But a lot of what I see is just people being like, look at what Joe Obama, Ben Biden's administration is doing. Look at, they're already hypocrites. Oh, they're already saying the same thing Trumpsfeld said. And I'm glad people are pointing that out. But I don't feel like it's my duty. Because to me, it's so obvious. To me, it's so obvious that there's always going to be this hypocrisy. And I do take my horoscope from the other day to heart where it was like, be careful about pointing out hypocrisies in others. Because it's so easy to do right now. I could actually spend all of my time pointing out the hypocrisies in others normally, but especially right now when it comes to social politics, I could spend all my time doing that, especially people like Obama, Bin Biden, and Kamala Harris. You know, I could spend all my time talking about how their administration is hypocritical and, and all this stuff, and I'd be absolutely right. I'd be so right, but I wouldn't have enough time to do it all, and I'd be wasting my time. So instead, I'm just going to give this blanket statement that they're hypocrites. And that's all I got to say about it. But I'm not going to waste my time pointing out every single one. Although I think to somebody, that's their if that's their duty, I'm glad somebody's doing it. Because when somebody isn't doing their duty, if they're not playing their role, it increases the likelihood that it's your role. And that's something that you have to deal with in life, where if you see something and nobody else is pointing it out, you have this urge to be the one to point it out. And I feel like there are a lot of people who can do that job, and they are doing that job. They are playing that role. And just one thing real quick on the free speech front, the FSF, uh, is that, you know, as expected, as many of us expected, a bunch of far-left, radical-left groups and people were banned from public platforms the day of the inauguration, the day after the inaug, which was totally, that's like according to script. They no longer served their purpose and now they're gone. And I don't support that either. I want to make that absolutely clear because I know people, I know some people think I, you know, probably rightfully so that I have a lot of uh, conservative sympathies and sometimes express those maybe more than than I do the opposite. Although I wouldn't agree with that. I wouldn't totally agree with that. I would just say that those observations tend to be a little more sharp. They tend to be more cutting. Uh, But I think they're there for everybody. Um, But, you know, I'm against that too. I'm against Antifa being banned from Twitter, just like I'm against far-right people being banned. I'm against neo-Nazis being banned. I want everything out open. I want everybody to be expressing themselves because the truth will cancel the lies out on its own. The lies will actually the truth won't cancel the lies out. The lies will cancel each other out. And so the more people and the, and you know somebody could say like, "Well, what about child porn?" And it's like, "Oh, you got me there." Yeah, I don't think people should be posting child pornography on these public platforms. Just like I don't think people should be posting videos of themselves killing somebody on these public platforms. I do believe in the law. I do believe in actual criminal behavior being prosecuted, being prevented from, you know, you know what I mean? Where it's like, yeah, you got me there. Oh, you're a free speech absolutist, but you don't think child pornography should be allowed on on uh, on Tumblr? No, I don't. I don't. I don't think child pornography should be allowed on there. You got me. I'm a hypocrite. 
I'm a hypocrite. I'm not a free speech absolutist because I don't think child pornography and videos of you committing violent acts toward people should be allowed on there. There are always exceptions. You know, there's always going to be an exception. Um, But when it comes to speech, when it comes to self-expression, because to me, those things aren't self-expression. Those are violent acts. Those are criminal acts being documented. You know, so I think there is a distinction to be made between something that is no longer an expression and is actually a criminal action. And, And beyond law, a vile action. It doesn't matter what the law says. The law could say those things are fine, and I would still say, get those things out of here. Do something with those people who are doing that. So if that makes me hypocritical, cool. That's a that's a hip, hypocrisy that I can manage. That's one of those essential hypocrisies. You heard of essential workers? Well, that's an essential hypocrisy, an essential contradiction that I can manage. I can be a free speech absolutist who feels that Radical, punch a Nazi, Antifa groups should be allowed on public platforms in the same way that I feel they're, they're, uh, the rival team, you know, right-wing, neo-Nazi militia groups should be allowed on there. That's how I feel. I feel like, get them all out in the open. I'd rather see what they're saying. I'd rather know what they're all about. Um, but, uh, yeah, I do draw a line somewhere, of course. We all draw a line somewhere. Uh, but anyway, that's all I got to say about that is just that it's it's very easy right now to point out the the blatant and immediate hypocrisies. It's always funny when hypocrisy is so immediate, but who's surprised? Were you surprised? Are you are you surprised? Are you surprised when politicians and government and all these people uh, don't even hesitate to they don't even hesitate when it comes to their hypocrisy? I'm not surprised. And now that Trump's fell out of office, like this is what I'll say, too, is that the, the biggest problem I think people had with him, you know, yeah, there are issues people had with him, and rightfully so. You know, people are allowed, of course. I mean, if you think that I just sit around, like, you know, agree, and if I just sat around agreeing with everything Trumpsfeld did, you know, you'd be very wrong. But I think the difference is, is that he's a guy who you didn't, like, you weren't surprised if he would lie to you. And that's why I don't think he was really a con man, as people say he was. I don't think he was a con man because a con man doesn't seem like a con man. A con man seems like they they have your best interest in mind. And if you buy a car from a real con man, you're driving home, and in the pit of your stomach, you know you got ripped off. But there's a part of you that just... That cerebral part of you, that that part of you that justifies everything, you know, that happens. Everything happens for a reason. You got, oh, you bought a you bought a, a dud from a con man. You bought a, a you bought a shitty car from a con man. Everything happens for a reason. But uh, no, but like there's a party where in the pit of your stomach, you know, you got ripped off. But you're you're thinking, yeah, but you know, his smile was good, and like he said this, you know, it's, it kind of seemed like he had my best interests in mind. And I think that's like a, a difference between someone like Joe Obama, Ben Biden, who, who he's getting, you know, he, I don't know how, how, how long he's going to last with his cognitive issues, but uh, he, he is from that mold. Like he's from the classic politician con man mold where even though you know he's lying to you, even though you know that he's manipulative in some way, he's slick enough that you go, yeah, but you know, I think he kind of, you know, I think he was right that I look good in this car. At the very least, he was right that I look good in this car. Like, you're saying that to yourself, whereas Trumpsfeld was the kind of guy where it's like, you know he was giving you a line, you know he has a comb over and a fake tan, and people were disrupted by that superficiality. They were hysterical because he, it was so obvious what he was doing. But there's some people where it's like, I would rather, if, if the person's going to be a liar no matter what, if the president is going to be manipulative no matter what, there's a lot of people who would say, I would rather it all be pretty obvious. I would rather it be the guy with a comb over and a fake tan who says everything is the biggest and the best. Oh, this car, oh, this is the best car in the lot. This is the best car in the lot. 
oh, this is the biggest car in the lot. And it's like there's like a Suburban two lanes down and you're like buying a Miata. But he's like, this is the biggest car here. <laughs> this is the biggest car here. That, that's that's very much Trumpsfeld. And people were so distracted by the superficial aspect of him. You know, I'm not, and again, I'm not saying there wasn't stuff to be upset about at all, but it's just that you could tell where people had this very visceral reaction to his appearance and the way he talks and his entire approach. Whereas, you know, Joe Obama been Biden, you know, he's got hair plugs, but they're a little more convincing than whatever Trumpsfeld's dyed comb over thing is. You know, he's got these sparkly white teeth, but they're a little more convincing than, you know, Trumpsfeld's orange, you know, spray tan. And that's what people want. You know, to me, it's like you go to a pizzeria and it's a hole in the wall and there's like they've never cleaned the grease off the tables. And it's it's like a blatant health code violation. And you're like, this place is gross. Oh, you guys should be shut down. Oh, my God. You're the worst pizzeria I've ever been to because it's so obvious what's going on. But then you go to a pizzeria and they have that metallic like mid to late 90s, early 2000s decor where pizzerias like started to look like the set of who wants to be a millionaire. And you go into that and you're like, oh, this place looks so clean and nice. And then someone's like, yeah, but have you seen the health code violations in the newspaper? And you're like, no, no, look at it. It's so clean and nice. They got this nice metallic decor. All the all the pizzas are named after uh, rock and roll bands. All the pizzas are named after Regis Philbin. Different shows that Regis Philbin has been on. It is kind of a nice place. It's kind of a nice place. And it's like, and then somebody else is just like, no, but look at the health code violations. They actually have more health code violations than that greasy hole in the wall that you tried to have shut down. And they're like, yeah, yeah, but look at it. Look at it. It's nice. You know, and I, I feel like that's just like recent politics in a nutshell. Where it's like, to me, it's like, that's, that's kind of like people's superficial response to these politicians. And it, it really comes down to like, do you want, it's like the difference too between like, do you want your husband to lie to you really well like do you want your husband to be a really effective liar when he tells you he's not cheating on you do you want him to be really convincing or do you want him to be just not even care and be like yeah yeah i cheated on you you know not even that not even that it would be, you'd be admitting it but it's like it's basically like how good do you want your husband or wife to be at lying about whether they're cheating on you it doesn't change the fact that they're cheating on you but it's like, how effective of a liar do you want them to be? What makes you feel better? Well, I think a rational person would say, somebody with free will would say, everything happens for a reason. No, they, they would say, maybe you should just leave. Maybe you should just check out. And while you can't completely do that with politics, like you're an American citizen with a, a president, I think that is the sort of dilemma we face in this age of hyper-awareness and information overload is just like, it's hard to ignore the fact that these people are lying hypocrites. So do you want it to be obvious or do you want them to be slick? And who's the bigger con man at the end of the day? You know, the person who's a much more effective liar, you know, the, the pizzeria with the metallic decor and the fancy looking menu or the pizzeria with the grease stains on their wooden table and, and rot in the ceiling, you know, the ceiling beams are rotting. You know, it, what do you want? What do you prefer? I mean, maybe neither, because there might be a, a better restaurant that doesn't violate the health code. But I'm not going to be the person who, I don't want to be the person here who's telling people, Oh, look at all the health code violations in this place. Oh, you you were worried about the obvious health code violations over here? Well, look at the health code violations that you have to research over here. You know, I don't want to be the person who's pointing out, like, the hypocrisy or trying to... I don't want to blow anybody's candle out. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I I really don't. That's the last thing we need. (laughs) That's the last thing we need. Oh, I hurt your feelings? Well, everything happens for a reason. 
I hurt your feelings because everything happens for a reason, and you needed to have your feelings hurt. No, but uh, I don't know. I'm I'm feeling okay. Just uh, just a, a hangover. Not a drinking hangover, just a total hangover, just a total life hangover. But it's not a bad feeling because it's not. It's, there's no emotional attachment. Like, because when I'm in a high intensity, you know, when I when I've been on like a high intensity kick. Like, there's not really any emotion attached to that either. It's not like, I feel so good. It's just like, I got to do something, and I'm doing things. So the opposite, like, when you lose that energy, which usually for me is just like a day or two. Like, today, like yesterday I was really tired because I didn't get enough sleep, and it was my mom's birthday, and so there was a level of emotion to that. And today there's just nothing. Today it's just like, oh, man, I'm, I just... I want to do something, but I feel like shit, and I can't. But, hey, you know what? I bet I'll feel better tomorrow. Because that's usually all it takes is just a recharge. And hey, who knows? Maybe I'll be high energy tonight. You never know. Um, but, uh, you know, you just go with it. You just go with that. And uh, I, to be totally honest, I'm looking forward to the rest of this month. For me, there were all these days, there were all these milestones to hit. And like I said, you know, my mom's birthday is sort of the start of my new year. My mom's birthday is the start of my Chinese new year. So now that that's behind me, it's just like, hey, now now it feels like it's the new year. Now we can just kind of see how things go. You know, I'm certainly ready to see how things go. This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children can run free. So take.